Well, happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. I was thinking, you know, I've got to come up with some Father's Day jokes. So I got a couple from Reader's Digest to get us going this morning here. While flying from Denver to Kansas City, Kansas, my mother was sitting across the aisle from a woman and her eight-year-old son. Mom couldn't help laughing as, she, uh, as they neared their destination and she heard the mother say to the boy, Now remember, run to dad first, then the dog. <laughs> How about this one? On the day I received my learner's permit, my father agreed to take me out for a driving lesson. With a, with a big grin, he hopped in behind the driver's seat. Why aren't you sitting up front on the passenger side, I asked. Kirsten, I've been waiting for this ever since you were a little girl, Dad replied. Now it's my turn to sit back here and kick the seat. <laughs> well, this morning we're going to look at <clears throat> Moses, and I'm going to do a little different take on this because... If we were to look at all the uh, highlights of the life of Moses, we'd be here all week. So we're going to look at one incident in his life, and I'm going to, hopefully we'll conclude today that Moses was just a real guy like you and me. And we're going to look at a time when he was discouraged, which happened more than once. So lessons from the life of Moses, and uh, we're going to take a look and see how to deal with discouragement. The Christian life is normally one that is composed of being on the mountaintop and then some days in the valley. But you know, the Spirit of God is such that it can touch our lives uniquely, no matter what perspective we are walking in today. Everybody faces doubt and discouragement. In fact, it's the common cold of every Christian. It's present in the pulpit, let me tell you. It's present in the pew. Missionaries get discouraged. Everyone gets discouraged. Sooner or later, we all get discouraged. And uh, along with discourage comes doubt. In fact, some of the very great men in the Bible face doubt and discouragement at the very pinnacle of God's blessing in their lives. Let me give you a few examples. Remember Zacharias? God said to him, you're going to have a son. He doubted, and as a sign, God would make him speechless. How about Abraham? Similar situation. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Now you have to admit, it takes a little bit more faith when you're 100 and your wife is 90. But Abraham doubted. How about John the Baptist? Amazing, amazing thing about John the Baptist. Do you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? Jesus said, no greater man was born of a woman. That's just, that just blows my mind. From the lips of the Lord Jesus, what an amazing statement about John the Baptist. John the Baptist who saw Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What a great declaration, great pronouncement. But a few months later, he's in a prison cell. He's alone. He's discouraged. He's suffering. And here's what he says to his disciples. He says, Listen, go check this guy out. Is he really the Messiah? Can you believe that? That's John the Baptist. How about the disciples in the boat? Jesus said, we're going to go across the lake and, uh, and uh, the disciples were fine. And, and then uh, suddenly the, the storm comes and they begin to get discouraged and begin to doubt. Job cried out 
My soul is weary of life itself. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. You know, it's inevitable in our lives. We're going to sooner or later have doubt. And along with that, that will creep in as a companion to discouragement. How about Joshua? Joshua chapter 7, verse 7. He says, Alas, O Lord God, why did you bring us out here only to give us into the hand of the Amorites? I mean, this is Captain Joshua who put his foot in the river Jordan and it dried up and said, All right, pick up those 12 stones. Let's march on to Jericho. And now he says, I wish we hadn't even crossed that river. He's so discouraged that he wanted to turn back. He thought that they were going to die there. Isn't that amazing? Turn with me to the passage that was read earlier today, Numbers chapter 11. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 10. So Numbers 11, we're going to begin at verse 10 and read through the first part of verse 23. Follow with me, will you? Numbers 11, verse 10. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each one of them in the doorway of his tent. The anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why hast thou been so hard on thy servant? And why have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou hast laid all the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth, that thou should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant, to the land which thou didst swear to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me, saying, give us meat to eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people, because it is too burdensome for me. So if thou art going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in thy sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with me. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you. I will put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you shall not bear it all alone. And, they, and say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the years of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat to eat. You shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, not twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and, and have wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? And Moses said, The people among who I am are 600,000 on foot. Yet thou hast said, I will give them meat in order that they may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and to be sufficient for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Has the hand of the Lord become short? This is an amazing, amazing situation. I mean, here's the deal. The children of Israel had been wandering through the wilderness, and all they had for breakfast was manna. Now, we really don't know what manna is, and that's what they said when they saw it, what is it? And so they had, what is it for breakfast? They had, what is it for lunch? And they had, what is it for dinner? Now, let me tell you, mothers, if your children ever say, what is it? You can tell them with confidence, this is from heaven, shut up and eat it. <laughs> but they had what is it three times a day, 
seven days a week, and they were tired, and they started complaining to Moses, and Moses is so discouraged, and he, you know, look, look at what, these, what they said in verse 4. Uh, they were complaining. They said, who will give us meat to eat? Last part of verse 4. And then it's in verse 5. We remember the fish which we used to eat in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. You know, this is the origin of Indian cooking. (laughs) This, This is the good stuff. And they missed the good stuff. Can you believe it? They said, we'd rather be back in Egypt. This was just grief to Moses. You know, I was thinking, after all that they went through, they actually are saying they'd rather be back in Egypt. And I thought, what would we have done if we were there? You know, we probably, we would have done the same thing, let me tell you. That's just human nature. That's just us. We're never satisfied. We just want more, you know. And so here they are complaining. Moses is so upset. He's so discouraged. He begins pleading with God. Not that God would answer the need of the people, but that God would remove him from the situation. Look at verse 15. He says, if you're going to deal with me this way, kill me. I'm out. Get me out of here. I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle any more of this complaining. Isn't that amazing? He says, I want to die. Well, I want to give you four reasons for doubt and discouragement. The first one is Moses had unrealistic expectations. If you notice from verse 11, there's a series of questions beginning with verse 11. He says, why has that been so hard on me? Why have I not found favor in that side? Why is it my responsibility? He says, am I their father? I mean, I didn't give birth to these people. Why is it me? Moses expected... That if God had called him, then everything in his life should work automatically. You see, there's this great myth in Christianity that if you're in God's will, then everything should go smoothly. And many people, when they experience a real frustrating period in their lives, when they go through suffering and discouragement, some of the people begin to ask, maybe I'm out of God's will. This is not supposed to happen to me. So the implication is, if I'm in God's will, everything's going to be hunky-dory. But if I'm not in God's will, then things are going to go wrong. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Three Steps Forward and Two Steps Back, he says, many of us have, are victims of the four spiritual flaws. And this is one of those flaws. The assumption that if I give my heart to Christ, read my Bible, pray, discover God's will for my life, then everything in my life should fit together and I should have one success after another. It should be smooth sailing. That's the assumption. And so Moses expected, God, I've done everything you've asked for me so far. Why is it going wrong? Many times our expectations are governed by wrong presuppositions. The Christian life is not designed to be a bed of roses. I want you to notice what Paul told Timothy. Notice this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Isn't that amazing? Think about the Apostle Paul. Do you know what Paul went through as a Christian? Tremendous physical suffering. 
He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was robbed. He had sleepless nights. Many times he was without food. He went hungry. He was thirsty, often to the point of death. He, in fact, he said about his suffering, he says, you know, I identify with the sufferings of Christ. Don't forget the thorn in the flesh he had. Three times he pleaded with God to remove that. But he continued in his life. In fact, what did Jesus say? Didn't Jesus say, in this world you shall have tribulation? So Jesus was saying, expect it. The servant is not greater than his master. As they treated me, they will also treat you. I don't know if you had the privilege of meeting uh, our friend who visited us from China this last month. Wonderful, wonderful young man whom God is using in an amazing way in China. Well, I've been intrigued about what's happening in China. The way people are coming to know Christ is absolutely amazing. Even right here in College Station, the Chinese church has seen tremendous growth amongst their congregation with people putting their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. So I had a I had chance to spend some time. Tell me, what are some of the factors that's causing this amazing growth in China with people coming to know Christ? And uh, we had a wonderful discussion, and, and I was familiar with some of the factors that he was sharing. And, and then one of the things he said, he said, you know, we consider suffering as being normal, as being part of our lives. And it really hit me. You see, they expect it. They look around and say, who's next? Hey, you've been arrested once, right? I wonder if I'm going to be next. They're waiting for the authorities to come knocking on the doors. Several of them have been in jail, not once, but twice. Suffering is something they say the Bible says is part of our lives. They're just taking the Bible for face value. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. Be ready to suffer. Ready to give your life for the Lord. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. You see, we're, 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 I, I remember... On my visit to China some years ago, I was uh, there on a Sunday morning. It was one of these three self-churches, large church. I was on the balcony in the back, and I was very curious. And they had communion that Sunday. And I didn't understand a word because I didn't know any Mandarin. But they started passing the elements out. And I watched, and as they were participating of the elements, they were crying. I wished I had heard what the pastor had said. You see, they are identifying with Jesus in a way in which they realize that this is part of our lives. We're here only temporarily. Our life is coming in the future. That's when we're really going to live. This is just for a few years in terms of eternity. And so we're never going to get a handle on dealing with suffering and discouragement and doubt till we learn to have the right expectations. We need to have a biblical worldview. We need to know That the greater advances you are making for the cause of Christ, the greater resistance you will receive from the enemies of Christ. Sooner or later, we're all going to face discouragement. But the secret is to be ready. Be ready for that day when setbacks come. 
Well, not only Moses had unrealistic expectations, his perspective was wrong. It was totally reversed. Moses was totally focused on the problem. Notice with me, verse 11. See the phrase where he says, and thou hast laid the burden of all this people. Notice verse 12. All this people. Notice verse 13. All this people. Notice verse 14. I alone can do. All this people. I mean, do you think he was really concerned about the people? I think he was telling God, God, look at the problem. Look at the problem. Look at the problem. Look at the problem. God says, calm down. Get the elders. Meet with me in the tent. All the 70 of the elders. I'm going to give you a solution. I'm going to put my spirit upon you. We're going to talk about this. We're going to work this. You don't have to be alone on this. He says, God, you missed the point. Look at verse 21. That's his answer to what God said. Lord, there's 600,000. And hey, I didn't count the women. I didn't count the children. We got 600,000 people asking for meat. He was singularly focused on the problem. You know, perspective is so important. It makes all the difference what your perspective is. And his perspective was totally focused on the problem. You know, I'll never forget this. This is a great example of uh, perspective. Um, I don't know how many of you know this, but we have four children. Our oldest lives in Birmingham, Alabama. Second one is Shireen. She's here. She's part of the 20s and 30s. And then we have twins. And I'll never forget the day I found out we were going to have twins. It is still embedded in my mind. (laughs) We went to the doctor for a normal checkup. And the doctor told my wife... I think we're going to move your date up a little closer. She said, how come? She said, well, I just think you're going to have the baby earlier. I think maybe you're mixed up on your dates or something. She said, no, I kept track of everything. And um, so I said to the doctor, I said, do you think she might have twins? He says, oh, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I said, how about doing an ultrasound? He says, okay. So they did an ultrasound. And so they're doing this ultrasound. I'm sitting there watching, you know, very eager to find out. And he gets done, grabs his clipboard, and he writes, I positively identify one fetus. I said, thank you. I said, so you're telling me we're not going to have twins? He says, that's not what I said. I said, well, what would you say? He says, I positively identify one fetus. I said, okay, so there's no twins, there's only one. He says, that's not what I said. (laughs) I said, doc, I got to know. Can you do it again? And so Dr. Sawyer, he went, he said, all right, I'll do it one more time. And this was a few years ago. They got better machines now. But anyway, so here he is, second time, doing the ultrasound. And then in the bottom left-hand corner, here was this heart beating. He says, oh, we got multiple pregnancy here. From that point on, I was just in shock. I mean, I didn't even say one word. (laughs) I didn't even talk to the doctor after that. So we're driving home. And I'm looking over to my wife here, and she's smiling away, you know? And I'm like this. And I said, what are, you, what are you smiling about? She said, well, do you know what happened? I said, yeah, I do. She said, she said do you know that children are a blessing from the Lord? Yeah. She says, we got a double blessing. You know what I was thinking? Double diapers. <laughs> Double high chairs, double car seats. I'm thinking double trouble. <laughs> the whole way. Uh, you know, 
is, is it a matter of perspective? She was, she, was, she was focused on the spiritual aspect of things and she was so excited. She just was thrilled to have, you know. And I'm just, you know, the other thing, Indian husbands are terrible. They don't change diapers. Unless they really have to. I was now stuck. <laughs> it was half and half now. <laughs> but, you know, our perspective is so important. We can't totally be focused on the problem. Here's Moses, totally consumed by this problem, complaining to God, and God rebukes him rather directly. Here's Moses saying, all this people, all this people, all this people. He offers a solution. He says, no, God, you don't get it. It's 600,000. And then God asks him one question in verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, has the hand of the Lord become short? That's the literal translation of the Hebrew text. I know the New American Standard says, is the Lord's power limited? But the literal translation, it's an idiom in the Hebrew. It says, has the hand of the Lord become short? It was a simple analogy to say, Moses, do you think I can reach the first hundred, the second hundred, maybe three hundred? Moses, you think that my hand is short that I can't reach the back? I want you to stop and just think with me about a problem that you might be facing. And then ask yourself this question. Has the hand of the Lord become short? You see, if our focus is on our problems, then we are setting ourselves up for doubt and discouragement. But if our focus is on our potential in the Lord Jesus, of whom Paul said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. If our focus can be inverted, switched over from being so addressed to the problem and begin to focus on the potential in God, then doubts begin to shrink and discouragement begins to fade. No matter what our problems, no matter what our setbacks, no matter what our discouragements are, we cannot lose our perspective on the person of God, on the spirit of God, and the resources that God has made available to us. We've got to learn to take our eyes off of our problems and focus on God. I remember many years ago, and it has been many years ago because we just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. It's amazing where time flies. But uh, we had a little plaque when we first got married. It hung in the hallway, and I think it was a wedding gift. It was, it was a wooden plaque with a, with a painting on it, um, a picture on it of a beautiful sunset. And at the bottom of that, it had this statement. It said, wherever God is, there is potential. You see, Moses not only had the wrong expectations... But he also had the wrong perspective. Thirdly, he seemed to isolate himself from others. I want you to notice what he says in verse 14. He says, I alone am not able to carry all this people. And if you look at the text here, in verse 17, God offers a solution for Moses and says, I'm not going to let you do this alone. But between verse 11 and, and verse 15, Moses uses the first person singular pronoun, me, my, or I exclusively. 
He never talks about anyone else being in partnership with him. Moses makes no comment about Aaron. He doesn't talk about Joshua. He doesn't make any reference to his father-in-law Jethro. He doesn't even say anything about God. It is always me, my, or I. I am alone. My wife used to have a little, um, it was like, it was made out of pewter, um, sort of a thing that you hang on the wall. And, uh, it, and it said on it, and she used to put it right by her, her uh, kitchen window when we were in India as missionaries. And she, it would say, this, it said something like this, Lord, help me to remember that nothing is going to happen to me today that you and I together cannot handle. You see, the times then when, when we are most susceptible to doubt and discouragement are the times when we are alone, when we feel alone. When did Peter begin to sink? When he was all alone, when he was away from the disciples, he was on his, trying to get to the Lord Jesus, he was all alone, he looked around his circumstances, and he saw the waves, and he began to sink. When did Jonah become discouraged? When he sat down under a juniper tree, all alone in a foreign land. When did John the Baptist begin to doubt? When he was all alone in a prison cell. You know, loneliness is real. It's real on the mission field. It's real in the pastorate. Any believer can face loneliness. It's real. And that's why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 and 26 basically says, fellowship is essential for believers. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why is that? So that we can admonish, we can stimulate, we can encourage each other. In fact, it says, all the more as we see the day appearing. Our time here is limited. And we need to make the most of our time. We need each other. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. You know, I was thinking, if something were to happen to me or, or you know, somebody in our family or if we had a tragedy, I have a body of believers that will come and support and care. But I was thinking about my neighbor, very unfriendly guy. I mean, I was, and, and, you know, I've never hardly seen anybody come to his place. And I was wondering, what if something happened to him? I mean, we are so blessed to be part of the body, you know? And so we need each other. We can't live all by ourselves. We need those kind of people who all they do is encourage. You know anybody who's like that? Who all they do is just encourage. Always positive. I know some like that. I know a guy who worked with me in Christar. And every time he'd come to my office or want to talk to me, he never left without praying. Every time. Whenever we met, even in the hallway, can we just pray? What a godly, godly man. And, uh, you know, we need people like that. People who encourage. And you know, we all need to have a support group around us. If you're not part of a small group, if you're not part of a home church, if you're not part of a men's group or a women's group, I urge you to take the initiative and take that step and, and, and join a group. We need one another to encourage, support, admonish. That's how the body of Christ functions. And so if you're not part of that group, become part of that group. Take the initiative and be a friend to someone. There's nothing, one of the greatest gifts that you can have is a close friendship with another believer. Take the initiative and become that friend. Now Moses, not only 
did he uh, have unrealistic expectations. Not only he had the wrong perspective, he seemed to isolate himself from others. But Moses also forgot the past. I mean, this is unbelievable. Here's this guy, Moses, totally frustrated, thinking that it is impossible for God to feed all these people. And if there was anybody in history who would have believed that God could have met that need, it it was Moses. Think of what God had already done for Moses. Right from the beginning when when he was called by God, here's this bush that was burning. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. It was burning. No, it wasn't. All right, you guys aren't impressed. How about when he put his hand in his pocket and pulled it out and it, and it was leprosy? And he probably put it back in real quick. So God said, put it back in, put it back in, and pulled it out and was clean. Isn't that amazing? How about when he said, throw down your rod and it became a serpent? And God said, pick it up. I would have said, you pick it up. <laughs> I'm scared of snakes. But Moses picked it up and it became a rod again. He did all these signs. He reduplicated them before the people. He stood before Pharaoh and and he called on all those plagues. Nile turning into blood, frogs covering the land, flies everywhere, gnats filling the land, livestock dying. All by the word of Moses, boils on people's heads and foot, hail destroying the land, locusts covering the earth, darkness over the land. Even the death of the firstborn. God did all of these things for Moses. He provided a pillar, a shaped cloud for the children of Israel in the wilderness, the daytime fire by night. He opened the Red Sea. He provided manna. Whoops. Don't want to say anything about manna. That's the problem here. He provided water from the rock, deliverance from enemies. And after all of that, Moses says, I don't think you can handle this one. He totally ignored the past. If there's anything that will help us during our times of trouble, discouragement and doubt, it's to have a good memory. Do you know why Joshua told his buddies to pick up those 12 stones and walk across to Jericho? So they could build a memorial. For who? For their children and their children's children. We don't want them to ever forget what God has done for us. Do you know what communion is? It's a memorial. It's a remembrance, Jesus. Paul said it's a remembrance. What do we remember? We remember that God will stop at nothing to meet our need, even if it meant the death of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, to meet our need. One of the best solutions to dealing with doubt, discouragement, suffering is to remember what God has already done for us. So, as we conclude, having looked at a very typical incident from the life of Moses, in many, many ways, just an ordinary person like you and I, and God can use you and I as well. Here are some lessons. Number one is remember to have biblical expectations. Be willing to suffer hardship. Jesus did it. He was our example. Number two, have the right perspective. Make sure that you focus on God and his potential. Take the focus off of your problems, but focus on God, on his greatness, the potential that we have in his greatness. Number three, become part of a group that loves and cares for you. You need that. Each one of us needs that. And then number four is never forget what God has already done for you. Never.
Have a good memory. Don't forget what God has done. And maybe you'll be able to overcome during those difficult times. Let's stand as we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this text that was preserved for us in the book of Numbers about the life of Moses, from which we can learn. We thank you, Father, that you care for us, that you are there to provide for us. And we thank you that there is nothing in this world that you cannot deal with. Nothing. We thank you that your arm is not short. Father, we worship you. We adore you. We thank you for who you are. Help us to have that biblical perspective as we live day by day and focus on you and not on the things that drag us down. Because you are sovereign and you know better than us what you're doing. Sometimes we don't know what you're doing, but Father, those are times when we can trust you because you are able. There's always potential with your presence. Thank you for this time together. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. You're all dismissed.